It's a joy to be here with you as we come into the house of the Lord to worship His name. Shall we uh, commit this time to the Lord? Heavenly Father, we enter into your holy presence, into your holy place. Not because we are good, not because of our self-righteousness, but only because of your grace and mercy. And so, Lord, we come before you only by faith to receive all that you have in store for us. We surrender this time even as we come to your word. We give you thanks and praise, all of this, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, some of you who have studied about missionaries and missions would uh, know this uh, very famous story about David Livingston. Uh, he was the, uh, recognized as the great pioneer of missions in the country of Africa. But he didn't always wanted to go to uh, Africa. He initially set his heart on going to uh, China. And this was in the years leading up to uh, 1940. Uh, at that time, China unfortunately had this problem of the opium wars and there was uh, obviously unrest and the British and the Chinese forces were at war and so that prevented uh, um, uh, David Livingston from going to China and that disrupted his plans and um, during about that time, uh, missionaries came back from South Africa um, and talked about the missions there and so he met with uh, a person called Dr. Robert Moffat, he, he um, you know, served in South Africa for some years, uh, later to become his father-in-law. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, Dr. Moffat was sharing about the, um, uh, the uh, situation in South Africa, and Dr. Moffat said this, and this uh, struck, um, uh, oh, wow, IT works until you need it to, right? And uh, Dr. Moffat said that, you know, I've sometimes seen in the morning sun the smoke of a thousand villages where no missionary had ever been. And that was that moment of faith encounter that David Livingston experienced. He felt the call of God uh, to go into this um, country, this practically unknown country, where very little was known, especially in the interior of the African uh, continent and of course he went ahead and he did a lot of exploration and missionary work and he very famously said that uh, you know if if you have men or people who can would only come when there are good roads you know I don't want them I only want men who will come if there is no road at all and um, as I said from his base in around South Africa um, he had to make a lot of inroads and exploration uh, to reach the interior uh, villages and tribes. And, uh, you know, I'm reminded about our teams uh, going into Lebo Antu, a uh, very remote part of Sarawak, and literally there are no roads as well. You had to, uh, you know, go by boat or make your way through the jungle and also in the interior of the Greek area uh, in uh, Malaysia. Very difficult, uh, you know, Long Lamai and uh, places like this. And when we hear stories about this, uh, we immediately, of course, think about faith. Um, you know, what causes men and women of God uh, to go to uncharted territory, unbroken country, unbroken ground. Um, that always reminds us about faith. And Hebrews chapter 11 is a uh, wonderful chapter that talks about faith. Hebrews uh, uh, chapter 11 has a great gallery showcase of heroes of the faith, uh, where people of God of the past exercised and lived 
by faith. And in this chapter, um, the author of the book of Hebrews gives us some ideas about what do we mean actually when we talk about faith. And uh, one of the key uh, definitions that he gives us is that faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. That is to say, faith is always future-orientated. It, it kind of looks forwards uh, to situations that does not exist yet in the present. Now, of course, if we have everything already fixed and, and set up for us, then it is no longer faith. I mean, it is reality already. You don't need faith to live in such a situation. Faith is always forward-looking. It anticipates what the future might be like. But very importantly, faith is also God-centered. Faith is not a platform for us to display our talents. Uh, faith is not a platform for us to carry out our agendas or you know, our ambitions. Faith is centered on a relationship with God. And in verse 6 of uh, chapter 11, we read that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Those that come to God must believe that He exists and He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. In the previous chapters of Hebrew, uh, the author has been at pains to point out that um, in the past, in the old, what we call the Old Testament, God has revealed himself through the law and through the uh, temple and the rituals. But in the present age, God has ultimately revealed himself through his son. And of course, the implication here is now our, the basis of our faith is centered upon God's son, Jesus Christ. And so in a way of summary, we can then uh, uh, understand faith to be a trusting, believing response to what God has promised or revealed. And so for our reflection today, we want to look at three core aspects of living by faith using the example of Abraham. Now, Abraham, uh, you know, is known as the father of faith because he, above all, exemplified how one should respond to God by faith. And so there are three key areas that we want to look uh, at this morning. Go, build, and live under the context of living by faith. Uh, if you read uh, towards the end of uh, Genesis 11 and then moving on to Genesis chapter 12, uh, Abram and his family uh, originated from, uh, you know, the bottom right part of the map. You see there the country of Ur, was part of that ancient fertile crescent, if you will, of the rivers there, and very fertile line. But uh, his family's father-in-law brought um, his father brought the family up to Haran. That's a little bit on top there, and they settled down there. And it is at this point that God came to Abraham and revealed His promise to Abraham that uh, God has prepared a land for Abraham and his family, and that. He will build, God will build Abraham into a great family, a great nation, and that through this nation, all other nations on earth uh, will be blessed. And so uh, God gave uh, that Abraham that revelation, and so Abraham started the journey from Haran up to the top to the region of Canaan, that's a bit downwards uh, to the left there. 
And we read in uh, uh, chapter 11, verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he will later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Uh, Haran was obviously a more settled uh, location, and it's evident that through the years that uh, Abraham and his family had spent in this city, uh, they became quite a sizable uh, clan and quite a sizable tribe indeed. And for Abraham to take that step on uh, to go to an unknown territory, not sure where he was going or what to expect, it was a great step of faith indeed because they didn't have, of course, very good road networks like what we enjoy today. They didn't have trip advisor, check out the weather and the local climate and the culture. That you, you know, It was a great unknown and you have to go by faith. And there was, of course, this possibility of hostile tribes at, at that time around um, the land of Canaan, there were already established nations or people groups who were, uh, or who were potentially uh, hostile towards Abraham and his family. But most of all, though he had a sizable clan tribe, Abraham, he was no spring chicken. He was already advanced a little bit in years, about his uh, mid-70s and his wife as well. And God had told him that he would build a great nation out of Abraham. And so it was a step of faith. The premise of God's promise is that even though you are aged, you are barren uh, you know, with your wife, I'm going to build a great nation out of you. And to step out in faith to unknown territory based on that premise of having descendants um, is a huge leap into the dark. And so this is the story of Abraham, and I, I love what uh, uh, Steve Jobs said here. He said, you cannot or you can't connect the dots looking forward. You cannot be in this position and then you try to look forward and say this is point A, B, C, D, E, and so on. You can't do that. He says that you, know, you can only connect the dots looking backwards. It's only in retrospect that you can see how things fall into place. Of course, um, you know, uh, Steve Jobs didn't have a Christian outlook in life, but he is right in terms of looking and anticipating the future. You can never expect total certainty. That's not how life works. To live life is to accept a measure of risk and, ma uh, and manage the uncertainties that come with the risk. So faith for us cannot be a one-off transaction. You know, you, you, you present to me the terms and conditions of the gospel, you know, I'm happy to sign on the dotted line, and that's it. You know, it's a one-time transaction. That's not what the life of faith is. The life of faith is a journey. The life of faith is a lifelong journey of faith encounters and daily experience with God. The uh, author of uh, the book and the study, Experiencing God, Henry Blackaby, he put it something along this way. If you go to a large estate or large property or farm, and you're trying to drive around this property or land yourself, uh, you, you probably you know, need a road map. You need some form of a map to you know, give you the directions and uh, so forth. Uh, but he says this point, if the owner of the land is sitting right beside you in the car, 
you don't need a map, you, you need the person, you need the owner of the estate or property. And so that is what it is like in our Christian life. We don't have all the answers. We don't know all the directions. But in all the uncertainties of life, we don't need a detailed roadmap. We need a trusting relationship with God. God places us in relationship with Him. How we build the relationship depends on God, and God has revealed Himself through His Word and through the gift and the presence of the Holy Spirit to enable us to walk by faith day after day. He places us in a, within a community of faith so that we can learn together and journey together as a community, not as solo Christians, but within a community of faith. And so we journey together to face an unknown world by knowing the God who holds our future. Next, living by faith is to be called to build for the future. Now, uh, there are some surprising things about, if you just, you know, from a purely historical view uh, about the life of Abraham, he was given the promise uh, by God that among other things, this is the land which I promise to you. It, this land, the land of Canaan, is, is, is his inheritance. And so, just from those of you who are history buffs as well, uh, if you are given this piece of land, then you have to take action to establish yourself in a land. You, you have to build uh, military alliances, strategic partnerships. You need to undermine the powerful tribes that stand in your way. Uh, you need to build, uh, invest in fortresses, strongholds throughout the land to establish your presence, to establish your life, uh, the life of your family in this particular territory. But that is not what Abraham did. We read in verse 9, by faith he's made his home in the promised land like a stranger. We understand that if you come in early part of your um, you know, journey, you are a stranger, yes. But after so many years, Abraham was practically still a stranger in a foreign country. He lives in tents. He should have been building up those fortresses and the forts and strongholds, but he still lived in tents like a wandering nomad as did his sons and grandson, Isaac and Jacob, who were has with him of the same promise. Abraham did not meet the standard criteria of readiness, right? You, you know, you're given a piece of uh, a territory or a career, you, you need to show some readiness, some KPI, some milestones. Uh, you need to plan strategically and progress and show some visible, tangible signs that you take, your, you take God's promises uh, seriously. Uh, but he did not do that. What was Abraham doing? How did Abraham carry out or put into reality the promise uh, that God had given him? And you read scripture, you read through the chapters in Genesis, the conclusion is Abraham built the future not with human hands, not with physical fortresses. He didn't start with that. He built the future with his identity. 
the primary way that Abraham and his family built the future was in maintaining their identity and their calling as a people on whom God has placed a promise. Their identity was rooted in what God had promised them. Faith is holding on to your identity and purpose that God has given you. It's not about a checklist of readiness and you, you, you kind of tick it one after the other. You know, the implementation, the implementation will come, but your identity needs to be resolved. Uh, there was this uh, study a number of years ago about uh, preschool. Um, there was this, this is one of many, but this is a, uh, a teacher in preschool, Erika uh, Christakis, and she wrote an article and saying that the new preschool, this is in the context of America, the new preschool is crushing the kids. Uh, they are, you know, they have, you know, abundance of tools. You go to the early nursery. Believe me, I'm in the preschool years. I'm, I'm you know, somehow involved in that. <laughs> uh, so you go to any uh, preschool, you know, alphabets, um, you know, very engaging environment, and they're very aggressive, dynamic milestones, readiness. They call it school readiness, right? You prepare the child uh, for primary school and, you know, fantastic roadmap readiness. But the um, surprising fact is after all those tools and methodology, they find that the young children, you know, they may be working more, but they are actually learning less. Um, in terms, for example, of language skills, after learning all those ABCs and the letters and whatever, what have you, uh, they don't seem to have the language skills to be able, to, for example, to create a story, to, to compose a story, make linkages and all of that. They found that surprisingly, um, you know, the kids were actually, you know, doing a little bit <laughs> below par. And those who went through this aggressive preschool when they uh, came to grade school or primary school, after, you know, they obviously did a bit well, the first one or two years, but you know, their motivation for learning uh, you know, drops tremendously after that. And so, of course, the pre-school uh, education experts in America, they were wrestling with this and um, you know, they you know, came to look at what the Finns were doing in the Finnish model. And uh, comes at no surprise, the, the Finns uh, focus a lot about the relationship, the dynamic relationship between the teacher and the child, and that was the key critical uh, factor in how they ran their preschool. That relationship uh, was important, and in fact, the Finns, they don't actually um, start to t teach the children actual alphabets and letters and, and how to read aggressively until about seven, very surprising. Uh, but, you know, the conclusion of all that uh, studies and what they went through was that the issues of core identity and relationships were critical. They need to be established first before you start on that, you know, readiness milestones and, and aggressive uh, uh, techniques. They found that this was uh, the key. And of course, you know, if it's important for teacher and child, you can imagine it is actually critical for parent and child as well. And so our identity and relationships, our relationship with God, our relationship with one another in a community of faith, and the relationship between the community and faith and those that we are engaging with, that needs to be key, that needs to be foundational. 
we must have our identity and relationship shape how we decide, how we develop, how we invest, how we treat one another. It must come out of that core identity and relationship. And uh, those of you who are parents, you know that you know, with the parent and the child, uh, you, know, you, you want that relationship, that identity of the child, how that child relates to you as a parent, that's critical. Uh, you don't want a parent-child relationship that is built on, you know, what we buy, what we wear, which schools we go to. If, if the child's identity is shaped by all of that, then, of course, the core identity is lost. And so, as a church, what would the kingdom of God look like in your family? What would the kingdom of God look like in your neighborhood, in your schools, in your workplaces, in this nation? What would you do to build for the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God will not be built on facilities, financial resources, political support from politicians and millionaire tycoons. The kingdom of God will be built on a people who hold on to their identity and calling as Christians. If your identity and calling is secure in Christ, then you will be in a position to manage the property and financial resources that God grants to us or allows us to have. If, however, our identity as a church is based on particular leaders, facilities, political support, financial resources, what would we do if all of these are taken away from us? If your leaders are taken away, if your properties and the properties and facilities that we invest in, if all of these are taken away, where would we be as a people of God? If not for our identity and calling that we have in Christ. So we built for the future based on our identity in Christ. And last is we live by faith under God's promise. I've uh, mentioned about this uh, uh, you know, uh, aspect of faith, the now and not yet uh, previously. Uh, if you look at um, the kingdom of God, it's a, not a now and not yet phenomenon. It is present already, but not yet fulfilled. The pastor talked about uh, the Sabbath rest uh, last week. It's also a uh, now but not yet phenomenon. Uh, it is present. It is a present reality uh, for us by faith, but it is not the full extent of its fulfillment as yet. And faith enables us to live under God's promise even when the complete fulfillment of that promise is still far off. 
the difference between your present reality and what God has promised that is still far off, that difference, that tension is sustained by your life of faith. It is faith in God who makes the promise that makes us move forward in bonus and confidence, even though at the present moment we don't see the fulfillment of what was promised. God's promise to our children, to our children's children after them, a lot of it will only happen after we are gone. There are more than a few of us here who will not live to see God's promises for this nation, Malaysia. But it is still our calling and our identity to hold the promises that God has given to our families, to our community, to our nation in living in anticipation for what God will bring about in terms of fulfillment. This was the faith experience of Abraham as well. We read in uh, verse 13, referring to uh, you know, Abraham, but all the, you know, those heroes of faith as well in Hebrews chapter 11. And these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Abraham was promised a great nation, but the present reality was that he had one son. He had other children, but one son with Sarah. That was specific uh, according to God's promise, one son. He was a wandering nomad. Remember, he, he lived in tents, considered a stranger in the land that was promised him. That was his inheritance. He was treated that nothing better than a stranger in, in that hostile land. Abraham did not live to see the establishment of the nation of Israel some several hundred years later. Neither would he see that great worldwide family of faith through Jesus Christ that was God's fulfillment of the original promise that God had granted to Abraham. He was still living by faith when he died. And so it was for David Livingston as well. He was given this great vision of this thousands, the smoke of thousands of villagers that never had seen a missionary and he invested years to explore roads and paths and routes to reach those villagers. He invested the good part of his life with missionary activities. And through all of that, he had one, a single converted tribesmen. In all that years, out of that great vision of those, the smoke of a thousand villages, 
he had one and only one converted tribesman who later disappointed him because of backsliding. He was still living by faith when he died. But out from that one convert and the network of tribal relationships that he built, the missionaries who came after him were indeed able to bring the gospel of salvation to many tribes in Africa. Still living by faith when they died. How could they actually manage that? How could you you know, have the faith to be faithful to what God has given you or the promise that he has revealed to you in a face of, stark, of the stark reality of unfulfilled potential and unfulfilled promises. What gave them the bonus and confidence to continue to invest the great part of their lives to work towards what God has called them to do? Abraham died as a stranger in a land that was promised him. Uh, David Livingston uh, died. They found him dead in, the, in a mud hut, remote area, uh, by his court, still in a posture of prayer. There are two images that, um, uh, that uh, Hebrews chapter 11 gives us in terms of this, how our faith is stretched and tested under God's promise. And um, I, I won't go into the text as much, but just to give you a snapshot of how uh, faith is formed and stretched, you know, while waiting the fulfillment. One is, of course, the, the sacrifice of Isaac, and the other is that vision of the heavenly city um, that uh, Abraham and others had. Um, uh, and you can read this uh, yourself uh, in, in the passage. Um, you see, as I mentioned, Abraham... God gave Abraham a very specific promise that uh, his, his descendants would come through his, um, uh, through his marriage with uh, Sarah. That was through that, that promised line. And so he did have a son. Uh, you know, it was an absolute uh, human and medical miracle that uh, he had a son with uh, Sarah. But then, you know, the strangest of things, uh, he is asked to now sacrifice his son. He had only one son. He had left his home, um, you know, country and where he has established himself. Now he's in a strange land, a stranger among hostile tribes. And that son was proof that God was moving ahead with this promise. But now he is asked to sacrifice that son. And what Abraham learned was that his faith rested not on the promise itself, you understand. His faith must rest completely in the God who made the promise. And Abraham learned that even if Isaac were to be put to death, God will raise him from the dead because God will not fail his promise. The other uh, vision or the other uh, you know, picture that uh, Hebrew chapter 11 leaves with us is that um, Abraham's vision was focused on that future where the heavenly city, the heavenly country, whose, whose builder and architect was God himself. That was the key, that was the end point of the promise. 
but at the same time, he was experiencing how God was fulfilling his promise in the present. As I said, he already had a son. God has provided him various ways and established him even in the midst of trouble and uh, you know, uncertainties. And you can read that in uh, Genesis, the, the chapters in Genesis that talk about Abraham's journey. And so Abraham's faith as such was sustained because he had the end goal vision of the heavenly country or city, but that he was also experiencing how God was working in the present to bring into completion what was promised in the future. To live by faith under God's promise is to have a faith that is tested. Our expectations of how the promise will be fulfilled will be tested. Our motivation of how and why we serve God will often also be tested. Some of what we hold dear, our cherished hopes, in terms of our expectations of how the promise will be fulfilled or implemented, and our own motivations in serving the Lord will be placed on the altar of sacrifice. And it's only out from this testing and this refining that you will have a faith that is God-centered and God-driven, not self-centered and self-driven. And there will be times when God will force us to stop and reflect again on the basis of our faith. We will be forced into situations where the motivations of our hearts will come to light. And it's a simple exercise for those of us who are whether for your families, for your careers, uh, for a specific church ministry, why are you serving? If you did not get the recognition, you did not get the earthly appreciation or rewards, would you still be serving? And it, it, it all falls back to our identity and calling in Christ that we talked about in the earlier point. Uh, you know, you look through, you know, not specific to our church, but you look through church history, whenever the church or church leaders have lost that rootedness to their identity and calling in Christ, then the behavior, the politics of power struggles will come to fall. Uh, we, we take each other to court, we you know, gather signatures, we have poison letters. Um, I'm reminded of what Paul told the Corinthians church, I think it's 1 Corinthians 5 or 6, uh, about you know, uh, uh, you know, legal disputes among Christians. He says, why, not, why rather not be wronged rather than compromise your testimony by you know, suing each other in cause, why not be the wrong party for the sake of the law? And that is a severe test of our motivations, of our faith, when we wrestle through 
issues that will naturally come when we serve the kingdom of God. And so, go into the unknown and in the midst of all the uncertainties and fulfill your promise that uh, God has given you. Built for the future primarily, primarily by your identity and calling in Christ and then live under God's promise by faith. I want to have this final word to those of you who, are, who pray hard and suffer long for your families. For those who pray hard and suffer long for the poor and those in need. For those who pray so very hard and suffer so very long for this nation, despite all the disappointments and indignities. God is not ashamed to be your God, for he has prepared a place for you in his heavenly city. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.